This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. I want to start with a word of prayer, and we will um, have another testimony of true education. And uh, we have a young man here who's agreed to come up and give a short testimony of how true education has happened in his life. And we'll start with that, then we'll get into the uh, meat of the session, and then we'll close with a uh, question and answer uh, period. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your love. You are so patient with us. You seek us so diligently. You have put uh, so many ways. You have given us evidence that you adore us and are seeking after us. And we are just amazed by that, and we're thankful. We're thankful that you're that kind of a God. And so as we spend some time this afternoon uh, seeking after your wisdom in true education, we pray that you would uh, give us insight, and you can be our teacher, Lord, and we're thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, from Souls West, Joshua, is that right? Joe, Joseph, uh, has come, and he's going to share just a little bit uh, about true education and how that's happening at a place called Souls West. Hi, my name is Joseph. I am uh, currently at Souls West, and um, it's been a really, really great experience. I started off, uh, I've been in the SDA community and SDA school all my life, um, born in SDA. I started at San Gabriel Academy, a small school in Southern California, where I continued till 12th grade, and then I uh, moved to uh, Pacific Union College, uh, where I was really unsure of what I wanted to study. I started off as nursing, um, and then I ended up uh, switching to photography with an, a minor in emergency services. Um, and that's where I was until last year. Um, and then I decided to take a summer program, uh, Youth Rush. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of Youth Rush. Oh, yeah. Um, Youth Rush, it's, um, it's a summer program that uh, required well it doesn't re well yeah it requires students to go door to door um, and we, ha we we leave books on donations uh, to help us with school um, books like the desire of ages steps to christ uh, the great controversy the spirit of prophecy books um, that we really believe is going to uh, bring the second coming you know much faster so we've been using these books to uh, go door to door minister to to the communities in our in our local conference uh, I, I was in the Southern California Conference under the leadership of Heidi Bryant. Um, and during the summer, she gave me, uh, she suggested to me the consideration of Souls West. Um, and, and I wasn't sure. Uh, I heard about the school before, and, uh, you know, my parents wanted me to get a, a, a degree. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that was PUC. I could get a degree and, you know. Um, and then later on, the director, uh, Michael Tuzon, and his wife, Candice Tuzon, uh, decided to come visit us, and they gave me the same opportunity that she had suggested um, to come to Souls West. Um, and so I, you know, I, I prayed about it, I gave it to God, and uh, that's where I am at now. Um, and Souls West, it's, a, it's, a, it's an acronym. It's Seventh-day Adventist Outreach Leadership School. 
Um, and so it's a two-year program. Uh, the first year uh, is, is, is it's like a semester system, and uh, the, the summer program is part of our curriculum uh, for both years. So we end up either canvassing that next summer or, or leading during that summer. Um, and so being at my time at Souls, I've really understood what it means to have a true education, um, apart from the education that I already had from San Gabriel and from PUC. I was able to see the difference. Um, and, you know, especially going through this book, uh, this is part of our curriculum. We go through this our first year, uh, one of our classes, um, and it's, it was really helpful um, because I see so many that, you know, they're going through the shelves and they see this book and they see education and they correlate it with schooling how, as how we've already seen. And uh, they're like, well, I'm not taking any, like, teaching classes or, you know, I have nothing to do with teaching. I don't need that book. Um, but just understanding what this, what true education means, um, it just, it's more than schooling as we've seen. It's, it's the balance between mind, body, and spirit. Um, and um, just, you know, at Souls, they really emphasize having a spiritual uh, walk, a spiritual connection with Jesus Christ. Um, and just having that personal devotion, knowing who God is, knowing who he is. Um, and being able to understand or, or study who God is and then seeing how it ties into true education um, really just opens the whole world to, you know, what we really need to do in life. Um, and that education is not just, you know, a momentary thing or, you know, just till the age of 22. It's in like life, it, um, it's education for eternity, which several of our schools have that motto. Um, but uh, just being, just seeing the difference between, you know, my PUC and souls, I was able to really understand and really cherish what it really means to have a true education. Um, and just, uh, just understanding that who God is, uh, for example, in 1 John 4, 8, if any man does not know God, then he, uh, if any man does not know God, no, if any man does not love, then he does not know God, for God is love. Um, and so that is the basis of true education. Uh, and this is something that uh, once, once you understand the love of God, then, you, then it's just something you want to share. Um, and so that's, what, that's the other aspect of, of souls. We canvass during, uh, during school. We, we have three weeks in school, and then we go three weeks out in the field ministering to the people of, of uh, the, the Pacific, Union, uh, Pacific Union, so Arizona, um, California, Texas, uh, all these states, we, we go all over um, trying to minister to the different cities. Um, and just, just going through, you know, this experience, it's just really opened me up to, like, how education can really change the world uh, as long as we, you know, stick to the manual, you know, that, that God has given us the true, like, spirit of prophecy. Um, and so, yeah, that's just been my experience. And I challenge you guys, you know, if you haven't read this book, read it. Um, and then put it to practice, put service, you know, the greatest lesson God wants us to learn is unselfish service. And if we can push, you know, that to the rest of our, you know, SDA community, then, you know, Jesus is coming soon in a matter of seconds. So, yeah. Amen. Amen.
All right. Well, uh, Seoul, I've been having a chance to visit Seoul's, and they have now also a uh, Seoul's Northwest that is uh, developing too. And it's a, it's a great training school. And how many have uh, heard of Seoul's? Seoul's West? Or, okay, so quite a few of you. Good. Um, what we want to talk with about this afternoon, I want to give just a little bit of an overview. There might be a few in here who haven't uh, got the first uh, couple of sessions, so I'll just hit some of those pieces briefly. Uh, number one, we're doing a distinction, a clear distinction. Maybe I can get this turned down just a little bit for me. It just sounds like I'm getting, or, or maybe I should talk quieter, but that's going to be harder than actually turning that down because um, I'm talking about education. All right, so uh, education and schooling are two different things. We, we do this, we have schools, and they focus on the academic, but yet there's education, and that's broad and long and high and wide, and it just is uh, very, very different than just schooling, and schooling's a portion of true education, but not the whole thing. And then we also talked about uh, process and how we start at some point and then we have some goals and then we have a process to get there. And we talked about how uh, uh, education is this process, but we have to have clear goals. We talked uh, about the idea, and I say we inclusively because it was mostly me doing most of the talking, but the, uh, the idea that the world's schools have a very different goal. And their goals direct them one direction. And if you have different goals, you have a different process. And so what we talked about then was the idea that we need some different processes to get at different goals. And we thought, well, let's take a look at what those educational goals in true education might be. And we kind of summarized one of the most important true, educa true education goals, which is the whole person, the whole being, mind, body, and spirit. And so we took... Uh, three kind of real easier to grasp uh, onto ideas of, of helping someone get uh, healthy and get some manual uh, labor skills, and then uh, education of the mind in the academic and the career orientation, and then the spiritual and the development of a Christ-like character. And then uh, uh, we wanted to take a look at these three things uh, here at the top of your screen, the manual skills representing the physical, the academic career uh, representing the mental and the Christ-like character. Thank you, young man. Uh, the Christ-like character representing the spiritual. So uh, on the timeline, uh, now we've seen timelines before. What I'd like to do is kind of roughly put this into three major sections. A time of preparation, of which we are now in. A time of peril, which is soon to come. And a time of paradise. Amen. Right? That's what we're looking for. All right. So this time of peril and the time of paradise are connected between a singular event. What event would that be? The second coming, of course. So uh, then the, the time of separation between the time of preparation, the time of peril, there maybe is a little bit perhaps more foggy. It's not maybe a, a distinct event, but there's some indicators that we know. Um, so we have this rough idea. So the question might be then, where are we at in this, you know, uh, in this timeline? And uh, as I've heard some say, we're at the toenails, uh, referring to the, uh, the vision 
uh, written in Daniel. So we are at the end of time. We're at the end of this preparation time and soon to move into this time of peril and, and praise the Lord, the time of paradise. And the question, one question, a real important question, is recognizing the methods of traditional schools and the methods in our Seventh-day Adventist schools, the world doesn't operate on a timeline like this, does it? It operates on a timeline that just continues to go and, quote, get better and better, right? But we know that's not going to happen. We know that there will be a time of peril, and we know that Jesus is going to come back because he wouldn't have promised if he's not going to follow through. That's what Jesus loves to do. He loves to do what he says and follow through on it. So this... Uh, um, Oh, let's see, I'm going too quick here. All right, so we've got the separations, the second coming. Uh, we're at the toenails. Then the question would be, um, of, of these three major goals, which one would be most important, and how might you make that determination? So would academic or mental preparation, would spiritual preparation, as in uh, character development, or manual labor and health. Which one would be most important and why? Any, any thoughts on that? Character development. Okay. How many think character development would be the most important spiritual character development? Okay. That's some, some good agreement. Uh, the question would be then why? Why would character development be more important than anything else? Yes. That's what you take with you into eternity. So, in other words... There's something about learning th something that lasts is very important. So, I, I, you know, if, if there was going to be a snowman built next year, would I do my PhD on that snowman? And why would that be, what, you know, you sort of snicker, oh, that's kind of funny. Why is that funny? Because you would never do that because it doesn't last very long. The snowman's gone, your PhD is immaterial, right? So you don't waste your time on things that don't matter and don't matter very long. You, you spend time on things that are eternal. So, of course, the thing that is, goes all the way through this is character. So clearly character is the most important thing. And if we don't... Uh, that we can take a look at some uh, Spirit of Prophecy quotes, a character formed according to the divine likeness is the only treasure we can take from this world to the next. And uh, another one, character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was its diligent study, study so important as now. And how much more important now? Amen? Never was any previous generation called to meet issues so momentous. Never before were young men and young women confronted by perils so great as to confront them today. The, the idea here is clear. This is getting worse. It's getting more difficult. Character is important today and for eternity. So character is number one. Okay, so the, the next question might be, okay, well, what's next most important? Mental development or physical development? What do you think? 
mental development. We put a lot of pressure on that, a lot of uh, uh, importance on that. Well, let me ask you a question. If, if we come in, and, and uh, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm kind of putting this academic career into that mental uh, framework, and uh, if we're taking a look at this timeline and looking at this time of preparation and the time of peril, what has a longer life, physical, manual skills, how to grow a garden or a PhD? How to grow a garden. So if we were going to use that same strategy of what's going to last longer, manual skills and health would be next uh, in most importance. And uh, so uh, let's take a look at this. The, both the mental and the spiritual vigor are to a great degree dependent upon physical strength and activity. Whatever promotes physical strength or physical health promotes the development of a strong mind and a well-balanced character. They're all helping each other. Now look at this. Therefore, the health should be as faithfully guarded as the character. A knowledge of physiology and hygiene should be the basis of all educational effort. This, this core idea that this is hugely, hugely important. Uh, and then uh, uh, a quote that I read that I really didn't understand uh, until I started looking at this timeline. If the youth can have but a one-sided education, and by the way, that's if. If, you could roll, if you're only forced into that box. A knowledge of sciences, with all the disadvantages to health and life, or a knowledge of labor for practical life. We unhesitatingly answer the latter. If one must be neglected, let it be the study of books. And that was like, wow, that's really sort of an amazing quote, because I thought, well, I thought books is what you do in education. But I was wrong. That's what we do in school, not education. Education is much broader than that. She continues, follow the quote down. She says, really, the two should go together, that these shouldn't be separated, that you have this time of exercise of the physical body and then exercise of the mind. Those should all go together. In fact, all three should go together. Uh, Ellen White, even in her first paragraph, she says, the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. Harmony means what? Means three notes playing together, not three notes playing separately. Otherwise, it would be melody, right? So harmony means all three being developed together. All right. Let's look back at this. And uh, then lastly, we see that our career in academic is important, especially in this time of preparation. But its longevity is tenuous. And so I'm happy that the Lord gave me an opportunity to study a PhD in education, and I'm happy for that. I just recognize that when the whole world collapses, they're not going to be saying, Dr. Siebold, can you teach us about true education? They're going to go, give me a house. It's raining. Help me build this, right? And give me food. The grocery store doesn't have it anymore. My uh, son, a few years back, I thought was very interesting. He said to me, we were driving by the grocery store. We had uh, purchased some things that he said, hey, Dad, what happens if the grocery store runs out of food? I thought to myself, ooh, that, that would be quite a bit of a struggle. I said, what do you think, Freddie? What do you think we should do? He said, I think we should go to Pizza Hut. <laughs> well, my guess probably is if the, 
the store's out of food. Pizza Hut probably is out of business as well. Um, but it really actually was sort of an interesting thing. Think about that. What happens if they ran out of food? Most of us would be in a pretty tough straits, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually learn how to do garden and not just learn it, but actually do it? Grow some of our own food? That'd be wonderful. And not to mention the spiritual lessons that can be learned through that. If they have knowingly trampled upon and despised his law on the earth, they will not be taken to heaven to do the same work there. There's no change in character when Christ comes. The character building is to go on during the hours of what? Probation, which is before Christ's coming. And uh, I want to really bring a, 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 a point to this that I think this idea of character development, not just in this sort of intellectual exercise that we've said, well, character development is clearly the most important thing we need to focus on. And I, I totally believe that. But I want to bring this point home to a far deeper way and, and through this quote. It's a solemn thing to die. Do you know what the rest of the quote is? But a far more solemn thing to live. Every thought and word and deed of our lives will meet us again. What we make of ourselves in probationary time, that we must remain to all eternity. It's almost as if the character is fixed at the point when Jesus comes. Death brings disillusion to the body, but makes no change in the character the coming of Christ does not change our character. It only fixes them forever beyond all change. Now, has anyone ever done any weightlifting? Have you done weightlifting before? I love to see the ladies raise their hand. Okay? Because I get this picture of being down in the basement of our residential hall, and there's a bunch of young men trying to put some meat onto their bones, which they got mostly bones and not as much meat, but they're, they're, they're wanting that, right? And so uh, I'm down there and I'm doing some bench presses and I get done with my third bench press and I have a really good spotter, okay? And my spotter says to me after I've done that third and final one, says to me, what? Do more. And I say, Thank you for the opportunity. No, that's not possible. And he says to me, do more. Uh, two more. And I say, no. He goes, yes. Two more. Two more. Yeah, all right. I can do it. All right. And then I go down, right? He's talking me into it. So it goes down. It hits my chest. Pounds it. Oh, no. And so he's pulling up like this just very lightly. And the ends of his fingers, I get up there. Another one. All right. I'm in already over my head. I'm with, you're with me, right? All right, down. And he goes down. It bounces. Oh, everything I have. And you know what? That hurts. It's painful but I'm doing it anyway. Why? I want to build the muscle. I want to build the muscle. Ellen White refers to the character as a type of muscle. And if you think of that in this, uh, this same type of atmosphere, what is it like in heaven? Are we building the muscle of character in heaven? 
How easy will it be to build muscle in an environment that's wonderful and perfect? Wouldn't it be far easier to develop character in a place called the world that's not so perfect, that things don't work out so well? And as I check into the hotel, I have a six-hour wait, and I think, oh, so that's what character development feels like. It hurts, but it's okay. <laughs> and I got God upstairs going, one more, one more, you can do it. Right? And he's there helping me up. It's beautiful. This is, this is a, a glimpse of, of how we can actually build character in this world. And it makes perfect sense why trials are part of God's workmen. Right? It makes perfect sense. Uh, because this is where character is really built and then as it moves on. So, if we take a look at our educational goals and compare true education to a, uh, a typical world's school um, uh, goals, uh, we might see that there is a little different order and emphasis. You following me? So does this resonate with your schooling experience? Uh, I just don't know too many people who haven't had this experience, and that's unfortunate. It's wonderful when we find uh, people who had the great advantage of being able to develop underneath a true education, education. And from childhood, and that when they become adults, they recognize they're still learning, and they're taking notes, and they're thinking about it, and they're wrestling with it, and they're writing it down, and they're telling others, and this is just a part of who they are. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to have been raised with that? What, what great blessings. Um, so what we don't want to do is we don't want to fall into the trap of developing our schools, Seventh-day Adventist schools, like the world's schools. And we don't want to neglect the opportunities of education all around us because we think education happens in school. We need to learn a few lessons from the children of Israel to be like the nations, like all the nations, was their ambition. God's plan of education was set aside. His authority disowned. In the rejection of the ways of God for the ways of men, the downfall of Israel began. Thus also it continued until the Jewish people became a prey to the very nations whose practices they had chosen to follow. Old truth doesn't make it, old error doesn't make it truth. Right, just because error has been around for a long time doesn't make it true. We need now to begin over again. Errors may be hoary with age, but age does not make error truth, nor truth error. Together, too long have old customs and old habits been followed. We are not at liberty to teach that which shall meet the world's standard or the standard of the church simply because it's the custom to do so. We can't just rely on custom. The lessons which Christ taught are to be the standard. If there are not, excuse me, if there is not in some respects an education of an altogether different character, 
we need not have gone to the expense of purchasing lands and erecting school buildings. God has revealed to me that we are in positive danger of bringing into our educational work the customs and fashions that prevail in the schools of the world. And has that not happened already? To a, to a very great degree, and it had already happened in her day. If the teachers are not guarded in their work, they will place on the necks of their students worldly yokes instead of the yokes of Christ. The plan of the schools we shall establish in these closing days of the work is to be an entirely different order from those we have instituted in the past. So think about this idea again of goals, then process. Character, health, academic. We might then be interested in thinking about that process. What is that educational process? What methods will give true success? And I don't know if you've heard this before. Christ's methods alone will give true success. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. She also says it this way, the most complete illustration of Christ's method as a teacher is found in the training of his first 12 disciples. In the Desire of Ages, you'll find two chapters that are absolutely lovely on dealing with young people. Uh, as the, chapter 7, as a child, and uh, chapter 9, I think, Days of Conflict, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, okay. So, and this is what's really interesting to me. The, uh, the, the as a child deals with Jesus in his young age, and then chapter 8 deals with that 12-year-old experience at the temple. You remember that, right? Chapter 9 deals with his teenage years and early 20 years before he goes into ministry. The chapter after Days of Conflict deals with... Uh, John the Baptist. So it starts this whole public ministry of Jesus. And it's interesting to notice Days of Conflict is the title of the chapter of Jesus as a youth. Isn't that interesting? What a great time to build character. In fact, it is the time to build, um, to build character. I'm going to pass by this one, by the way. All right. So what I want to do is spend a little time unpacking some things uh, in Jesus' life. And, and then we want to go right to Scripture and see what, what, uh, what Jesus has done. Jesus followed the divine plan of education. The schools of his time, with their magnifying of things small and the belittling of things great, he did not seek. So Jesus avoided the schools that didn't do what God needed for him to do, and he did the following things. His education was gained directly from heaven-appointed sources. And I've taken this quote and just chopped it up a little bit to make it easier to read. From, number one, useful work. Two, from the study of scriptures. Three, from nature. And four, from the experiences of life. Now, if we think about this in the light of school, it, it can get a little bit hard to kind of think about. How does that actually happen? But if we think about it in, as life, education is life, then this makes much more sense. How many in life work? Right? Okay. 
uh, and study the scripture and nature and have experiences of life, these things happen. Now, you have to be very conscious about studying scripture and uh, putting yourself in nature. Uh, Jesus, uh, clearly this Jesus school, the first pupils of Jesus were chosen from the ranks of the common people. And they had the advantage of three years training by the greatest educator this world has ever known. So think of Jesus as a teacher and think about what his school looked like. And think about uh, what would be some characteristics of the Jesus school. What might that look like? That's kind of an interesting exercise to think about. So uh, I've put together a few that I thought about. So there's a low student-to-teacher ratio, right? Did he have 30 in his school? No, he had one, one to 12 student-to-teacher ratio. Um, he had some student leadership, uh, Peter, James, and John. He had a group that he gave special treatment to and special training to, to those student leaders. Uh, he was involved in practical labor. He had nature as his classroom for much of what he did. Uh, mission trips, no buildings, right? He, he did a lot of mission trips. He did a lot of his teaching also in, uh, in synagogues or in churches. Uh, Jesus also uh, spent time in a blend of lecture and experiential, right? Did he do lecturing? Sermon on the Mount, right? We have uh, times when he did a lot of speaking to people, so that's not wrong. I've heard that happen at GYC on occasion. And also experiential. Uh, GYC understands the experiential need, and so rather than just have a bunch of lectures, they have time to go out and share what you've learned. Amen. And then scripture study and activities of teaching preaching and healing, which brings us to a wonderful quote in Matthew 4, uh, which is almost identical to the one found in Matthew uh, 9.35. Uh, but what I'd like to do, if, if you have your Bibles with you, open this up in Matthew 4. It's really very fascinating to read this. It starts out Matthew 4, verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee. And uh, you know, I, I, as, as I study and as I read, I really love it when, when, when I, I, I come to a word and I'm not really sure what it means and I start to look it up and it starts to expand the whole context of what we're reading about. So uh, I think let's try to do some of this here. And Jesus went all about Galilee. So I look at my map in the back of my Bible and I see Galilee. I kind of do some quick measurements. It's about 40 miles across and uh, roughly. And then uh, I say, okay, so G Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. So G Jesus did a lot of teaching and, and uh, scripture records a lot of that. And so where do we have recorded that Jesus was doing his teaching? in the church, right? That's where Jesus did his teaching, and he did a lot of that there. And he did preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. And it shares in verse 24, and his fame went throughout, throughout what country? 
was he, was he walking all about Syria? Where was he walking? In Galilee. Isn't that interesting? And his fame went throughout all Syria. I want to say Galilee, right? That's where he's walking because that's where his fame would go, but it actually goes around Syria. So I think to myself, okay, well, I've got to go back to the map. I see Galilee here. Now, where's Syria? Oh, it's over here. So why does his fame go all throughout Syria when he's going throughout Galilee? Well, let's continue. Let's see if we can figure this out. And they brought to him, those from Syria, all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those which had the palsy, and he healed them. His healing. So why were they coming? For his healing, right? And verse 25, And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee. Well, of course, that's where he was going around. And from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So people are coming from all over this whole map because he's walking around this area and his fame gets spread. It gets published, if you will. I think it's really interesting to see the primary activities of Jesus coming out of this verse. Also, uh, later in Matthew, shares these same three points of Jesus being involved with teaching, preaching, and healing. Isn't that interesting? So could it be that the activities of the ultimate school would be actually involved in teaching, preaching, and healing? Now, also, Jesus, uh, while not directly, uh, there was a lot of publishing happening about his work, which is why these people from other countries um, countries came to visit him. Now, as I was uh, going through this and studying through this in my morning devotional and unpacking this, at the same time, I had an opportunity to work. Uh, uh, Weimar Institute and Amazing Facts were partnered together for a while. And uh, there was a, uh, a subcommittee of the board that was set up, and I was asked to serve on the board, uh, on, the, uh, on the board and the subcommittee. And there was a group. This, this group got together to try to figure out, okay, what is the real purpose of how Amazing Facts and Weimar Institute with its health focus and Amazing Facts with its preaching focus, how could they work together? And so while doing some of this study, uh, I came across uh, some of these same four principles in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I thought, well, this is really fascinating. Um, the, if you take a look at the 1840s, what was the Seventh-day Adventist Church or the, the roots of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, what were they doing? Were they healing? Were they teaching? What were they doing? They were preaching, right? They were preaching the gospel. Jesus is coming soon, right? That's our history. That's our core. That's what we started with. And so that's what happened. In the 1850s, there started to be a new phase of this Seventh-day Adventist work. Again, this historical Seventh-day Adventist work. It's the publishing work started to come out shortly uh, in, in right around the 1850s. So we have the first issue of Review and Herald, Ellen White's first book, the first uh, purchase of a press. 
And so we find this publishing work now coming out of the development of the Seventh-day Adventist work. So in the 1860s, what do you suppose happened? Ellen White had an article written on uh, her first vision on health reform. The Battle Creek Sand op opens up, and Seventh-day Adventists now are learning to focus more and more on health. Isn't this interesting? This is really fascinating to me. And so in the 1870s, guess what starts? Education, teaching, yes. The Seventh-day Adventist Church opens up its first denominational school. Ellen White writes a, a premier article called, uh, uh, oh, I should know that. It's in the, it's in the uh, oh, uh, my, my mind's balling, uh, going blank on that. Okay, anyway, writes a, a, a fantastic article on, uh, on education, and that happens in the 1870s. And that is a perfect setup for the 1880s, isn't it? What, what is it? What's the 18, what happened in the 1880s? A great focus in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Righteousness by faith. It's, it's almost like, I love this illustration, this metaphor. It's almost like God was trying to set up his bride with a four-layered wedding cake with the icing of righteousness by faith and his bride wasn't ready. He wanted to come home. He wanted his people home. And it didn't happen. And we have been clearly given all of the components of Jesus' ministry. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has all. The health message, right? Amen. Uh, the truth. Much of the truth in Scripture has been funneled up and right through the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we preach that, the Seventh-day Sabbath, the State of the Dead, um, and the educational work, the, the amount of, of practical and principled advice that we have from Spirit of Prophecy is absolutely stunning. How to do education well. So what about Jesus' educational act activities um, in Spirit of Prophecy? Well, I want to show this quote to you. Repeatedly, the Lord has instructed us. What happens when the Lord repeats his instruction? It better be pretty important, right? Has instructed us that we are to work the cities from outpost centers. What's an outpost center? It's a place outside of the city that's built and developed to minister inside of the city. And why do we minister inside of cities? That's where people are, right? It's always nice to minister where people are. Let's go minister to the people where they're at. And so uh, it worked the cities from outpost centers. In these cities, she says, we are to have houses of worship as memorials for God. So the preaching aspect. But institutions for the publication of our literature, for the healing of the sick, for the training of the workers are to be established outside of the cities. So what she's doing is she's packaging all four of these same components inside of a ministry which has the publishing, the health, and the education work outside of the city with the preaching inside of the city, and that's the outpost center working with the inner, inner city ministries, if you will. So 
this is kind of a, a rough overview of some of the pieces that are involved in what Jesus has done in his work. Uh, what I'd like to do, I'm going to uh, move now for question and answer session, open it up. And uh, for the uh, next uh, series of presentations, uh, or the next presentation, which will be at uh, 3.15, uh, I'm going to talk about how the world has recognized their need to change their schools. Let me tell you, it is blatantly obvious that the, the world recognizes their schools have to change. And there's no question in my mind that the, the world's schools will change. In fact, I'll show you some examples of what's, what, how those schools are changing, how people are saying why they need to change, and you'll resonate, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll resonate as I do, with the calls for change yet we have a very different kind of change to bring. Uh, just in short, I was at a conference when the president of a accrediting association said, higher education is broken. So uh, this next session, that's what we'll deal with in talking about where the world is saying how education needs to change. Let's. Uh, close with a word of prayer, and then I'll open it up for questions and answers, and uh, we'll get you guys a little bit of exercise, and you have been, actually, I'm surprised that most of you are not sleeping. I mean, no disrespect to anyone. This is a rough time to have this, but uh, let's pray together. Lord, you are an awesome God. We just thank you so much. We're thankful, thankful for how you have given us so much wisdom, and Lord, we want to say we're sorry for how we have spent our time unwisely, not always diving and digging for the truth that you've laid out before us. You've given us diamonds, and we've been far too often just enjoying stones when you have diamonds for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to be our teacher. May you go with us through this conference, through uh, the rest of this and next session. And, Lord, may you, may you guide us into things that will be not just interesting to know, but that we will be able to put into use and make it practical in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, questions also. Ooh, I hope this doesn't ring like crazy. Uh, if you're interested in getting a copy of the slides that I've used up here, which will have all the quotes and everything inside of it, I'll just package it as one large PDF file. If uh, you can wave my wife down or just pass that, you can write your name and your email address, that would be good. And then, uh, Brenda, do you want to put a, also a page in there for if they have interest in having me come and visit their church or something, uh, that we could start a conversation about doing that. And if you're interested in putting on some sort of an education seminar at your church, Something like that might be interesting for you, too. So um, that'll get passed around. Questions? Any, any questions on education? By the way, for those of you who came here for this and you need to transition to something else, totally comfortable. We're not going to feel offended if you slide out. This would be a perfect time. There's water on the sides, pens and paper, and they used to have candies. I don't know if there's any still there. So.
Yes. Uh, do you think the Lord is going to wait for us to get our act together with our educational system, or is he just going to work by his own means to train us in his own way um, outside of those fallen, broken institutions? Or is he going to wait for us to perfect the blueprint and then come? No, that's a good question. Um, Ellen White has a quote, and I, I had intended to put it somewhere, maybe that will remind me to try to put it in later, um, that, that our educational institutions are prisoners. Oh, repeat the question. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, the question, and tell me if I'm uh, summarizing it okay. Um, is God going to wait for our educational institutions, or is he going to train people uh, and not wait for his educational institutions? Is that in short okay? All right. So I, uh, Spirit of Prophecy has a quote, and you can look it up, Prisoners of Hope. And uh, it's phrased a couple of different ways in her writings. One is a little more, it will happen this way, as I remember it. And you know how sometimes you remember a Spirit of Prophecy quote, and you look for it, and you can't find it. Um, but anyway, uh, the Prisoners of Hope is, uh, would be the search term for me. And then, uh, and it seems like there was a, a couple of different ways. One seemed to be more, they are prisoners of hope, they will come out of it. And the other one says, if they do these things, if they, if they come back, God will restore them to their rightful place as the leader and the head and not the tail. So clearly God has designed uh, this, his educational system to actually, from my, from my reading Spirit of Prophecy, it's clear that God has actually intended for the youth to make a huge impact on end time events and that education is the engine to help empower the youth and that they will intend, they will in turn fire up our churches. Because I mean, imagine a, a church all fired up, right? Can you imagine your church all fired up and they're going out and evangelizing, and they just they struggle to watch football games anymore because it's just so boring because they're out winning souls, you know? Uh, and so imagine a church like that. Well, how does a church become like that when their whole training and their whole life isn't that? It's hard to get that when you're older, and so getting young people in with some really, uh, you know, getting a training that has all of these blessings I just think can make an immense difference. So my thought is that's what God's going to do. And so my role, the, my, my impression, my call, if you will, is to help share the message that we can do this in Adventist education. So we can help turn schools, elementary schools, uh, high schools, academies, and colleges, we can turn them to, to move closer to what God intended. And, and, it, and I'm not so concerned for the long term, uh, and, and I say for the long term, for schools that are making progress and going closer and closer because that general tendency is going towards true education than, than schools who are maybe doing a bunch of things right, but they're going the, the wrong direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 good point. Uh, it, it's interesting to think about AUC and losing accreditation and instantly essentially closing. Uh, and uh, at, at Weimar Institute, we've been 
working towards developing accreditation and uh, I've been very clear with the board and everyone else in working towards this. Number one, it's a very dangerous thing to do uh, and, and not that it should never be done, but the recognition is if you develop a, a, a school and then get accreditation, what you can't do with accreditation is be able to pull it out. Because if it pull it out and you kill it, then it's essential. Then it's essential for your school. And if it's essential for your school, well, then they're running the school. And you can't do that. So you have to set up your school so accreditation is not essential. And so how do you do that? and actually do accreditation, that's what we're praying through. So uh, just to be honest with you, the process of helping to bring our school towards accreditation has been very helpful for our school. It's, it's been very, very helpful. And we're a better school now than we were uh, five years ago. And uh, so praise the Lord. We're just, we're thanking the Lord for that. Whether we get accreditation or not will be a good question. We'll see when it comes. But the process is really good. So, uh, any other questions? Yes, is there a question over here? Yeah, let me, give you, let me give you one example, and there are, there are people who are much more well-read than I on that. Um, but I could give, oh, yeah, thank you for the reminder. Yeah, okay. Um, so the question is regarding the uh, reformers and how they changed their school from the Catholic uh, method or the, the Dark Ages method of, uh, of education that had come through. And uh, one of the things that, um, uh, and, I, the, and you also mentioned a resource, I would go towards uh, E.A. Sutherland's uh, book. Anybody have the title? I'm just trying to remember the title. I'm reading it right now. <laughs> yeah. A Studies in Christian Education. Yeah, Studies in Christian Education. And it's available online. And if you don't have it, ask me for it, write it down, my wife, and then I'll send a copy to you. Um, so that would, be, that would be a good one to get some details on it. And then, um, so one of the things that they did in these old schools was used competition very heavily. And the winner was the winner, and the loser was very depressed, and the winner was held high. And so there was a lot of... Um, uh, the, the end justified the means was a, was a very uh, prevalent idea and attitude in that type of a school. And uh, so what they recognized is some of those strategies that they used in those schools needed to be pulled out because they were teaching wrong principles. Even though they weren't teaching content, the, pr the way of teaching actually taught something. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like saying to you, hello, my friend. And then I, and everybody goes, well, obviously, they're friends. Hello, my friend. Or I can say, hello, my friend. And I can use the same words. I can say the same content. But the way I say it conveys a very different meaning, right? So in, in the same sense, how we teach something makes a, it makes a huge difference as to what we learn through it. 
And so that's what they recognized and they, they started changing their schools. But that's what I would go to. That'd be one place. And then actually he cites from different books and you can go back to some of those original sources to get some more detail on that. So how are we doing time-wise? Okay, about a minute now. Okay. Uh, do I have any comments on the blueprint? Uh, yes, I would say that I love the idea that they show there. What they say is fantastic. And if we could really do that, that would be amazing. That's the difficult part. I, I mean, I, I really, and I, don't, there's, I just don't mean any disrespect. I mean, how many Adventist schools I've walked into, uh, I went to Broadview Academy, and they have this great seal that started in 1907 or something, right? This great classic school that's been around for a long time. My dad went to the school, my older brother, my uncles. I mean, just, you know, my mom went there, and so this is my school. And above it, there's this character above intellect, okay? And so what do we spend time doing each day, right? So the question would be, do the practices of the school match the goals? And we can have wonderful goals, but if, our, but if we're flying to Detroit when we're trying to get to San Diego, you know, we, we've, we have to be on the flight that gets us to our goal. So we have to have the methods that do that. So. Yeah, and they talk about development of character and smaller classrooms and, you know, things like that. But so thank you very much. Uh, and let's, let's uh, close again with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would leave your hands just on every soul in this room. Lord, we need it. We, we are so messed up. We are so permeated by the thoughts of our culture around us that we don't even see so much. Lord, I know, I know that I'm messed up, and I've studied this so much, I just know how messed up I am. And Lord, there's so many. We should have thousands of speakers speaking on education. We should have thousands of educators crying out for true education. We pray, Lord, that each person here would take some concept or group of concepts and find out how to apply them to their lives. Lord, I pray that you would help them make that application, that they would share it with someone else to make a difference in their life and the lives of others around them. In Jesus' name, Thanks so much. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.